Speech pitch by Iska Sack. Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Iska Sack's new podcast, Speech Pitch. I am Katerina Botalho. And I am Francisco Teixeira and we will be your hosts. We are members of Iska Sack, the Student Advisory Committee of the International Speech Communication Association. It's a very long name, we know, but long story short, the goal of Iska Sack is to promote interaction between students in the speech community. You may have heard about some of our events, such as the doctoral consortium, the mentoring, or students meet experts at interspeech conferences. Exactly, and we were chatting the other day about how this world pandemic was affecting our PhDs and our academic experience, and how it would be great to somehow restart activities and networking. So we were, we were discussing ideas on how to bring the speech community closer together. And how to get to know other researchers in a more informal environment. And that's exactly when the Speech Pitch podcast idea started. In this podcast, we'll interview different guests, mostly from the speech community and always in an informal setting. We really want to get to know them. So we'll ask about their work, yes, but also about their personal lives, their ideas, their stories and their hopes for the future. Basically, all their hidden layers. We will uncover all their deepest features. And open up the black boxes. Yes, uh, but truth be told, it will be all of that. And more. Much, much more. And so, we thought that the perfect guest to start off this podcast would be someone that has been deeply involved with ISCASAC in the last few years. In fact, our guest was the general coordinator of ISCASAC last year, and also she was a winner of the Best Student Paper Awards at Interspeech 2020. Welcome, Iona Gessinger. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on your first episode of Speech Pitch. I'm happy to be your guest. <laughs> Hi, Iona. Thank you very much for being with us. So um, let's uh, get right to the point. You were last year's ISCASAC General Coordinator. How did you first hear of ISCASAC and why did you decide to get involved with it? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I um, learned about Iska Sack right at my first interspeech conference. Um, and I was actually introduced to it by my um, colleague at the time, Janine Jügler, who was a volunteer. And she said, come have a look at our events and see what we're doing at interspeech. And it was a great way to, I guess, um, feel at home right away at the interspeech conference, which can otherwise be quite overwhelming, I guess, because it's very big. And it was my first time there. Uh, and that was cool. And then um, just like with um, some of you guys, um, they asked, don't you want to um, become a volunteer? And I said, yes, I'll try it. And I stayed on ever since. <laughs> and then we started, uh, I started being involved in the first, um, in the organization of some events in 2017. And um, that was quite successful. And um it was fun and I became a board member and um, then finally in 2020 general coordinator. And um, in summary, more or less, what, what do you say you, would, you had, have taken from this experience? What have you learned from it? Well, on the one hand, as I said, I think a main point is really to, to have a little community within the big interspeech and ISCA community um, where you really get to know people over a longer um, stretch of time. And you also um, organize all of these events before um, interspeech. So you stay in contact over the year. Um, and I guess 
there are also some really practical things that you learn when you're a part of such a such a group. Um, for example, reaching out to people, networking, in how to invite people formally for events, um, how to organize little events. I mean, for example, um, our doctoral consortium, which we organize before interspeech, um, is something that we really um, pull off uh, from scratch, so to say. So um, there's, um, for the other events, we have the conference that is um, surrounding our event and for the doctoral consortium, we organize it from scratch. So you get to learn a lot from that, I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree. I also feel like at my first interspeech conference, I was definitely feeling a little lost with everything that was happening at the same time. And it's definitely a, a nice gather of st students like you. Um, and yeah, so, and we also want to know about uh, your award-winning paper. So tell us about that. What was it about? Tell us everything. Oh, wow. That was a big surprise. So I didn't count on this to happen, but very nice. Um, very nice addition to last year's conference, which was, of course, a challenge for all of us being online for the first time. Um, by the way, that's also something I must say that um, helped with this online conference. Being involved in the ISCASAC um, activities gave, gave this online conference more structure for me personally as one of the organizers with you guys together. So that was nice. Yeah, so the paper. Um, so this is about my work at um, the University of Saarland with Professor Bernd Möbius. Um, we are working on phonetic accommodation in human-computer interaction. And um, this paper is about a simulated spoken dialogue system, which we call Mirabella. And uh, we have Mirabella interacting with different user groups with L1 German speakers and with L2 German speakers. And we see whether she, um, whether the users adapt their speech to the speech output of Mirabella. In our um, experiment, we found that there were similar behaviors between the German native speakers and the non-native speakers, um, but also some specific patterns that only the non-native speakers exhibited. Yeah, so this process of phonetic accommodation, it, it's a lot in the center of this work of yours and also all your PhD, right? So can you explain for those that are not so aware of what it is? Can you tell us uh, what exactly this um, phenomenon is? Yeah, so it's actually a phenomenon that we, first of all, um, observe in human-human interaction, yeah? When two people are in a conversation, um, their speech output becomes um, more similar over time with respect to different um, levels. It could be on the lexical level as well, right? We start using um, the same words, but it goes down also to the phonetic level and even to the level of very small phonetic detail, and that's exactly what we are looking at in our project. So research before has looked a lot um, at more global features, for example, speaking rate, or maybe um, um, how loud uh, people speak. And we're looking at segmental features, for example, really allophonic variation um, in, in German. And whether spe um, speakers also adapt these uh, tiny um, segments, and they actually do, even when speaking with a machine and not only when speaking with a fellow human. So this phenomenon is mostly automatic, right? Do you think that when we are speaking, we have, or most, most of the times when people are speaking, they have, like, they are conscious that they are doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's 
actually two big components to it. One component is, as you said, um, assumed to be automatic, like an automatic alignment to make communication easier between the two parties in that case. Um, but there's also a social component to it. And this one might be, um, this one people might be more conscious of. So for example, a, a social component could be that I want to um, be closer to the interlocutor, or maybe I want to be farther away. So I diverge even, I don't, do not become closer, but I become less similar. Um, another component could be a hierarchical component that usually a person who's um, on the lower end of the social hierarchy would um, accommodate more to the um, hierarchically higher uh, person. Um, yeah, this also has to do with the likability and attractiveness of the other person and so on. But generally, when we're asking people, um, participants in experiments, um, they are sometimes they sometimes state that they are aware um, that they have changed their pronunciation. But as you already said, much of this is probably also um, working on a more subconscious level. Speaking upon that, in your paper you also talk about uh, it's mostly about language learning, right? So you, do you think that for if you dislike your your teacher somehow, can that influence your ability to learn correct pronunciation because you're trying to diverge? Even if it's unconscious, you're trying to diverge from the way the speaker, the your teacher speaks. <laughs> That's interesting. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, hmm. Of course, it's not. I mean, to learn the pronunciation of a foreign language, of course, the accommodation is not like the only component that will um, decide about success or f failure. I'm, I'm, I want to say. <laughs> but also like the inherent motivation of the learner and so on, there are other component, components, right? But it might well be that um, if, if your connection to your teacher is not so amicable, um, that you somehow uh, maybe also lose the motivation to, to learn the language. I think it would probably be the same with math and other topics, yeah. But that's a good question, whether accommodation is, is affected at that level. Yeah, might be, yeah. Wow, super interesting, really. Uh, there's a lot of social implications of all of these. That one can wonder whether the hierarchy is more important or whether like the likability between the two um, humans or human machine in this case uh, is more important, right? Like mm -hmm. imagine you are in this interview and you think like your interviewer maybe um, like for a job interview and you really want to accommodate with them, uh, but then maybe you don't really like the person. So there's a lot of... It's, it's an interesting that got to me there. Yeah, yeah. So, and also we, we read in your GitHub page that you've also worked with forensic fanatics, right? So we got super curious. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, that was during my master's actually. So I did my master's in speech science in, in Marburg at the University of Marburg. And they have a, an emphasis of forensic phonetics there. And just like with Mirabella, I was also interested, I was always interested actually in foreign language learning. And that was the topic most close to my heart. And so for my master's thesis, I thought, what, how can I combine foreign language learning and forensic phonetics? And I worked on um, um, foreign accent imitation in, the, in, a, in a forensic case. So in a, in a crime scenario, so to say. 
which is uh, probably, um, I'm not sure about the numbers here, it might not be the most prevalent um, way to alter your voice when you want to like make an anonymous call. I'm not sure about the numbers, but it does occur that people actually imitate foreign accent. I set up a scenario for this work uh, where someone was making an anonymous call um, asking for a ransom and imitating a French accent. Um, and then they were not understood by the police. And the police said, please, we want to give you the ransom, but um, you have to speak more clearly so we can actually know where to deposit it. And so I um, looked at the um, effect of speaking more clearly. And it showed that these German native speakers who imitated a French accent, well, let's say the way that they speak more clearly revealed that they were German in a nutshell. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Um, and I work with privacy, so I think that's a really interesting, interesting topic, really. Well, going a little bit back to your PhD life, how is your routine as a PhD student? And um, if you don't like anything about it, how would you change it? Um, well, the routine. Hmm. So I barely remember now because for one year, the routine has become quite different, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, I mean, nowadays the routine is um, staying at home and working on the laptop at home, right? <laughs> Before um, being a phonetician, there was always some, some uh, time of the week spent at the recording lab, running experiments, right, with actual people, which of course is no longer possible at the moment in person, actually since, yeah, since March last year, right? Almost, uh, well, going on a year now. Yeah. Um, otherwise, um, I'm not sure. I mean, what's the routine uh, besides that? Um, you have your weekly meetings with a supervisor and a group where you discuss uh, what's, what's going on, what has been going on during the week. I think I'm quite content with the routine. Um, I, I, there are always things maybe that can be, can be adjusted, but, but I think that It, it's mostly also things that come from like the motivation from within yourself, whether you maybe take another course at uni or you do um, something extra. Um, so far, I'm quite content. Yeah. <laughs> Picking up on the, on the pandemic situation, mm -hmm. um, do you see any silver lining, anything that, well, might have been good in, in the middle of all this terrible uh, moment? You mean like something that, could have helped like continuing experiments, for example, maybe? More uh, on the, do you see any positive thing uh, in the middle of all of this? Yeah, I mean, the positive thing for me um, at the moment maybe is that since I'm trying to wrap up the PhD and to um, write, I think this is a phase um, anyway where you sometimes, I don't know, spend some time Well, at home writing or maybe in a library. I mean, that's the thing. Um, I, I would have liked to, to, to maybe write more in a library because that's a nice setting. I like that. That, that helps me a lot. So it's a good working atmosphere. So yeah, I'm missing that. But sometimes I'm, um, I've tried to substitute the feeling by having um, a friend who's also working on Skype and we're just working alongside. So this is somehow making sure that no one like plays videos that they shouldn't play and so on. Yeah. 
that's a great tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes when you're working from home, at least I feel that it's way easier to get distracted. You know, Netflix is just one click away. Oh, yeah. And maybe you're just waiting for your program to run and it will take 10 minutes, but maybe a half an hour break couldn't, wouldn't hurt anyone, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're all experiencing the same. But so now that you mentioned that you're getting closer, like to the end of your PhD, um, is there anything now that you think back that you would have liked to done different from the start or something that you, you, you wish that you have known like from the beginning? Hmm. It's true that you, you start a PhD and you somehow along the way you discover how things work, right? And I, I do believe that is probably the, the, the same is true for many things in life. Um, yeah, then this might differ from field to field. Um, so for our work... Um, Statistics is always a big topic, like coming from, so I did my bachelor's in Romance languages. Um, there's not much uh, statistics, uh, there was not much statistics taught during this time. Um, and like throughout your PhD, do you remember any like funny or embarrassing situations that you've experienced that you might want to share with us? <laughs> It should be f funny, but broadcastable, right? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> there's one thing that comes to mind maybe which was awkward in some sense so I'm I'm usually for a couple of years now I from working on the computer too much I guess I need a I need glasses to see in the distance right but I only use them when I when I need them so when I for example when I drive a car or when I watch like or when I listen to a talk right um, but uh, I gave a talk well that's been two years now yeah in in a somewhat bigger room which I was not used to so I gave a talk and I didn't have my glasses on and I didn't really see the faces of the audience which can be good at times but then when it came to the questions I noticed oh I don't recognize these faces right so I just answered in the direction where the voice was coming from and I was like that's good enough does it works but then uh, someone came to me after the talk, which is usually something that you really um, enjoyed, uh, continuing the discussion after the talk. Um, however, I didn't really remember the face and they were, were not telling me which question they had asked. So they just started the conversation and I was like, oh, I don't really know which question that is and what we're exactly talking about. And that was awkward for a moment, but we made it through and um, we had a nice discussion in the end. I can definitely relate to your problem, always not using my uh, glasses when I need them. Um, and so that now that you've told everyone about yourself and about your work, we were thinking that maybe we could take this interview to a deeper level. And so we prepared a series of very plausible dilemmas. And for each of them, you will have to pick the best out of the two options that we're going to present to you. I'm not sure you're ready, but we'll see about it. <laughs> I think I'm ready. Okay, so let's start. Would you rather have a virtual assistant presenting your paper or having a virtual assistant reviewing your paper? I would present my paper and see what the, what the virtual assistant does to the, to the review. Would you prefer to be a cat or a dog? To be? I would prefer to be a cat. Yeah, yeah. Seems, there seems to be more um, freedom of decision somehow. Would you rather date Siri or Alexa? My first impulse is Siri, but I have really no idea why. 
And do you think Mirabella would be jealous about your stress there? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mirabella and I are just friends. I think she's fine. She's, she's down, down with whatever. I don't know why I always have the thing to go for Celia as well. I mean, you named her first. Maybe there's a... But Maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, would you rather ha not have internet for two weeks or attend the next interspeech but in a giraffe costume? I would be actually really happy to not have internet for two weeks. Yeah, I'm not sure whether the giraffe would suit me well. Um, I, I'm going for the two weeks without internet, but then, well, at the at a location of my choice, maybe you know, like somewhere where you can like relax as well. Not that at was, all. That was too easy for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now another one. Would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or fingers as long as your legs? Wait, I need a moment to like even understand what fingers, I need to envi envisage how that would look. You know, <laughs> fingers as, fingers, long as, as legs. long as your legs. Can that be somehow an advantage? I'm not sure. Or legs. And no, that's no, that doesn't seem like a good choice. I mean, <laughs> I would be really slow then. I would go with fingers as long as my legs and then we'll see where that leads. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I yeah. agree with your, with your choice there. <laughs> <laughs> And would you rather listen to a rap album by Siri or a country album by Cortana? <laughs> uh, wow. I'm just somehow I'm, I'm hung up on the thought what Mirabella, what type of music Mirabella <laughs> would, would uh, produce. <laughs> That, that's everything I can think about now. <laughs> I think I'm, I would listen to... Um, um, MIBP album by Mirabella. So our last dilemma for you, uh, would you rather always have a convergent phonetic accommodation as a language teacher or always have a divergent phonetic accommodation in your personal life? As my teacher. Like a, like a teacher that would like always... If you were the teacher, mm -hmm. the language uh, teacher, would you rather always have a convergent phonetic accommodation to your students? Ah, I see. Or or uh, have a divergent phonetic accommodation with everyone in their personal life? Well, um, if I'm the teacher and I'm always converging to my students, then hopefully they are like very good students who, who speak whatever I'm teaching them, a language, I guess, very well. So then I have no problem, right? But I think diverging from everyone in my life doesn't sound like a good choice because this it's really a nice process, I think. So sometimes... When I talk to people, I'm not sure whether you guys experience that yourself. We do somehow consciously notice that we converge to one another. And then it's like actually an, a nice little moment. It's, it's an enjoyable uh, thought, I think. So I would uh, converge to my students and hope that they're just very well at whatever they're doing. Good, good answer. Yeah, you were surprisingly good answering these dilemmas, right? They seemed very easy to you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and now that we've heard your views on these very, very plausible dilemmas, we want to wrap up and uh, ask you, what's next for you? Do you have any plans for the future, for the near future, big plans, small plans? Um, so first of all, um, my plan is to finish the thesis, right? And since we don't want to jinx anything, we'll not uh, give any specific dates on that. But this is the future, I hope. For the father future, we'll talk about it a bit later. Very well. Yeah, we'll be ready to celebrate with you whenever the day comes for handing in the thesis. 
Um, and thank you very much for answering all of us, our, all of our questions and for being with us today. Uh, you have definitely been the best first guest that we could have asked for. Um, <laughs> and now your final question, the bonus question, you were thinking you could just get away this easily, but nope, we have one final question for you. So if you could pick any speech scientists and if you could ask him a question, imagine that we could invite him or her for our next episode, what uh, would the question be and what, uh, who would the person be? So we're talking uh, living or dead? You can choose. I think this living is too much. Dead. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think a nice thing to, to have would be like a group conversation with um, the original authors of communication accommodation theory and on the other side the interactive alignment model and sit with them around a table and discuss whether from back when they came up with their um, theories until now and what we've seen in accommodation research what they think about the reasons for accommodation and why it happens and how the two um, sides can maybe be unified in one big model that sounds like a very very interesting conversation i want to thank you very much again as katarina said you were a perfect first guest thank and, you very uh, much for having me and also thank you to everyone that joined us in the very first iskasak speech pitch stay tuned for future episodes we might get to interview your favorite speech researcher <laughs> Speech Pitch by Iska Sack